The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Today, expert knowledge is so highly valued that we learn to lead first as the expert whose mastery of the details helps teams solve problems. Eventually, as your leadership role expands, expert leaders find themselves in a role where others know more. Details are no longer so accessible, and decisions are made without a full understanding. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone with Dr. Wanda Wallace. It's time to find out how to make the transformation smooth and flawless. Now, here is Dr. Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. I'm Wanda Wallace, and with me today is Paul Axtell. We're going to talk about meetings. One of the biggest complaints that we hear from people is always about the lack of time. There's too much to be done with not enough resources available. One of the reasons there is so little time is the number of meetings and the number of conference calls. Just about everyone I coach and work with is in back-to-back meetings all day. And then at the end of the day, your brain is both exhausted and you still have all the work to do that came from all those meetings. So imagine a world in which you could have meetings and conversations that felt useful, productive, efficient. That's the focus of today's show. Paul Extell is with me. Paul has over 35 years of experience training leaders, both in Fortune 500 companies and nonprofit organizations and in government agencies. He's the author of two books, The first one, Meetings That Matter, Eight Powerful Strategies for Remarkable Conversation. And the second, the award-winning 10 Powerful Things to Say to Your Kids, Creating the Relationship You Want with the Most Important People in Your Life. And if that's not enough, Paul has an engineering degree and an MBA as well. So, Paul, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Wanda. Thank you very much for the invitation. I appreciate that you would trust me with your audience, so thank you. It's a pleasure. I'm looking forward to it. So, Paul, I love the title of this book, Meetings That Matter, Eight Powerful Strategies for Remarkable Conversations. So what's the secret to making meetings fun and effective? And is that even possible? Well, fun, I'm not so sure. Um, Enjoyable, yes. Empowering, yes. Fulfilling, yes. Can we make them really effective? Absolutely. I think, Wanda, you're uh, like me. You work with people who are already really good. And I like working with high-performance groups, individuals who are already successful, despite they haven't spent much time mastering their skill at managing conversations, particularly in meetings. So absolutely, we can make this happen. Okay, so what's the secret sauce? What do we have to do to make these? And it, for me, if it's fulfilling, enjoyable, and productive, I'm going to count it as fun. That's as close as I'm going to get at work. So what's the secret to making meetings so effective? Well, I think, first of all, it really starts with perspective that meetings are high-leverage activities for an organization. They give you a competitive edge. 
And for an individual, it's actually the currency in an organization. I think if I look at your mission about people who have expertise and then they get perhaps in a job beyond their expertise, I think that holds true. After being really good in whatever your core discipline is, what sets people apart is the ability to convene a small group of people, manage the conversation so progress is made both in the meeting and afterwards. So I think it's a matter of first treating meetings like they matter, and then what things are important to pay attention to with respect to both leading meetings and participating in meetings. Okay. All right. So if I'm running the meeting, what's my responsibility? What am I supposed to be doing in the meeting? Let's start there. Well, I think let's, at a broad level, I think you're responsible for three things. Number one is to accomplish the work laid out in the agenda. If meetings aren't productive, you erode not only your respect, but kind of erode the possibility associated with any group. So number one, you need to produce agenda. Number two, get broad participation. People's experience of being a part of a group, um, being part of a team, is pretty much based on what happens when they speak in a group. And if people pay attention and work with what each person says, people feel pretty good about being part of a group. So the second broad category for a leader is to get broad participation. And three, then I think it's about role modeling really good conversational skills, paying attention, listening, using people's names, managing the conversation so it stays on track. So that would be my broad strokes. With respect to a meeting, you ask about, well, is there a checklist? And I think actually that might be a good idea. I don't have one, but these would be the six things I think that I would want someone to check off. And the first one, respecting the time and talent that's in the room. If you call a meeting, you are responsible for doing that, which means let's only meet if we have a really good reason for meeting. Um, so if you look at the agenda, for me, it's okay. Do we have topics that require the thinking and alignment of the group? And those are topics we're talking about. So what does your organization need to talk about? And then who's the right people to talk about it? So fourth thing is what's the best way to discuss the topic we've got? Uh, we're going to talk about that later when we talk about process, but it's pretty simple. Complex, difficult conversations or conversations with large group need a clear path. Otherwise, it's very difficult to keep them on track. So what's the best way to discuss it? And if we kind of go down this checklist for leading a meeting, then I think it's really about what I call setup, process, and closure, setting up each topic, managing the topic, and then wrapping it up. So setup and closure are like the bookends for the actual conversation. And then again, I'm coming back to participation. I, the New York Times just had an article about Google research about effective teams, and one of the two elements was broad participation, and the other was making it somehow feel safe and allowing the permission for people to share personal things. So if you think about that, most managers do go in and say, let's produce the results, but look at this whole other piece about how do we create a conversation 
that allows people feel like they've got the safety and permission to say exactly what they're thinking. So that would be my list, Wanda. Great. All right, let me see if I can just reiterate this to get it straight, because there are quite a few of them. One is I got to have an agenda, and I've got to make sure if I'm in charge of the meeting that we're actually getting through the agenda. And my reputation is driven by the ability to actually have a productive conversation around that agenda. Number two is making sure that other people are speaking. So, in fact, everybody is speaking. And that says an awful lot for in this notion of inclusivity, particularly the voices that are tendency to be softer or to be a little more reserved, to draw them out in the meeting. The third is making sure that I have a topic that really matters for discussion, that it is respecting the time and the talent in the room. And I can't tell you how many times I see people in meetings where it is a report out. Honest to goodness, a report out we could have done in an email rather than taking um, the uh, time, everybody's time. And then next is making sure that we have the right way to discuss this, which is a complex topic. And then the final is making sure that we have a closure. Did I get those in some reasonable order there? Yeah, very good. I, I think I would just like to reinforce the ensure participation one, because if you think about it, Traditionally, we've kind of said, well, people are extroverted, introverted, and, but whether people speak up or not is a lot more of a swirl than that. Sometimes they don't speak up simply because they know this meeting has a tendency to run over all the time, and I just don't want to add to that concern by asking my question. Other times, certain people speak too often, speak too long, and so the quiet, reserved folks just say, well, I don't have to get in this conversation but I think we can go back to responsibility. Most people walk into meetings with a perspective. It's not like they sat down and chose this, but they just kind of drift into it, which is I'll speak when I feel like it. And if I don't feel like it, I won't speak. But if you look at the quality of the conversation, it really is in part determined by getting all the voices in, all the perspectives in, all the questions in. And that takes time, but it also takes broad participation, if that makes sense. Makes a ton of sense. And it resonates with me in particular as I think about all the conversations I have with Asian colleagues who are typically on the phone for meetings, typically on the phone late at night for meetings, particularly in the U.S. and in European headquartered companies. And they struggle to get their voice heard. They don't naturally interrupt anyway. And it's late, and it's better not to say. But then there's a hugely important part of the world whose voice just isn't heard. Um, So any advice, if I'm running that meeting and i got people on the phone, how do I make sure they've been heard? Well, great question and a very common question. First of all, on those kinds of meetings where you have somebody who has English as a second language, build 20% more time in for every topic. Second, um, you're going to have, particularly on phone, I like to actually, before the meeting, look at each topic and write down the names of the people that I would like to first start the topic. Who do I want to make sure that I don't leave this conversation or this topic before I check in with them because they're impacted by the conversation? Who are the veterans or people who have a lot of experience? And I want to make sure I get their view. So before the meeting, I actually 
write down the names of who I want to get into the conversation. I also let people know that because we're virtual and I can't sense when they want to get in the conversation, I don't have access to the body language, I don't have access to when people sit up, that I'm going to be a lot more deliberate about calling on people and inviting people into the conversation. And in the beginning, that might seem mechanical, but actually it's pretty relaxing when people know that I've got a plan for broad participation. If we speak about Asians in particular, another thing when I work with people, and I mostly see them in training classes, one of the things that often happens is if, first of all, you know, you and I actually are pretty excited and amazed by how much English people have, and we think pretty good things about them, and we don't certainly want to be measured about our ability to speak Chinese. But they often compound their problem by speaking softly because they're concerned about their language. And I frequently give people advice called, hey, get into the conversation. Don't worry about your English skills because sincerity trumps everything. But do speak loudly because it carries an era of confidence that speaking softly doesn't. So does that resonate with your experience, Wanda? Absolutely. I love that quote. Sincerity trumps everything. I absolutely think that's true. Okay, now let's turn to the second problem that we have. So I get that I need to be deliberate about calling on people, particularly if they're on the phone or particularly if English isn't their first language. And that may seem awkward at the beginning. And I love your tip that I start the meeting and say, who do I want to make sure I've heard from on every single topic? Okay, now let's go to the polar opposite. I have somebody who just won't stop. How do you cut them off? How do you control to keep the meeting on track? Well, that might be if we talked to every group and we said, what are you concerned about meetings? That would be probably the number one. Maybe maybe number one is what do I do with a boss who's terrible at leading meetings? But number two would be what do we do with the person who dominates the conversation, who interrupts all the time? Well, in any given single meeting, I think you put up with it and make it work because people watching want their colleagues, even if they think they're being out of bounds, they want their colleague treated with respect. So if you're meeting, leading the meeting, you've got to do this in a way that everybody watching likes how you handled it. So my first attempt is I'm just going to listen until they're finished. I'm going to pay rapt attention, and I'm not going to interrupt. I'm just going to let them go and go and go, partly because my attention will cause them to become more aware of their speaking. It's also why I like meetings with a horseshoe, because I'll, if they go on and on, I'll get closer to them. I'll stand up and walk in so I'm within six, eight feet of them, so they're even more aware of the fact that I'm listening. I'll probably do that two times. The third time, I'm probably going to say, Wanda, if you don't mind, I'd like to get a couple other people in the conversation first, but please don't let me forget you. Let me come back and see if you have anything to add that hasn't been said. But if you don't mind, Wanda, I'd like to get a couple other people in the conversation first. Okay. Now, if there's, so, somebody, that work, if there's somebody that works for me, then after the meeting, I've got to say, you've got to cut that out. Yeah. Because people will lose respect for you. And I think people 
um, derail their careers by how they handle themselves in group settings sometimes. So, yeah. yeah, I've seen people also derail their careers and how they facilitate a meeting as well. It goes both sides. <laughs> I agree with you. We want to see our colleagues treated with respect, even if we think that what they're doing is wrong. So I like that notion that you let them go once, maybe twice, but the third time there's a bit of interruption and a polite way of saying, let's bring somebody else in. Hold your thought. I'll get back to you. Let me hear from Joe on the phone or Sue or whomever else. Very cool. Very cool. Okay. So the secret here, Joseph, I'm getting to making productive meetings is number one, I need to make sure I really do have an agenda and that agenda is worthy of the time of the individuals that are in the room. So all these people, all the time that it takes of them, the cost of their time to the company, is this worthy of that effort? And then I make sure that we stay on track and I make sure that we have broad participation so that we have everybody's voice represented because that's the power of a meeting. Perfect. Okay. All right. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, I want to talk about the six processes that underscore great meetings. Well, actually, that underscore every great conversation. And we'll come back with yet another checklist of things you can do to improve both your meetings and your conversations. Join us shortly. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Get a unique and playful insider's take on the biggest stories in tech, media, and entertainment. Join Lori H. Schwartz, well-known technology catalyst, comedian, and geek girl, as she and leading experts in the media and content business dive into the biggest stories in technology trends, consumer behaviors, and its impact on Hollywood. If you're looking to respond to the tech-fueled changes in the marketplace, then tune in to the Tech Cat Show Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business and syndicated to Voice America Women's Channel. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is Paul Extel. Paul has over 35 years experience training leaders from Fortune 500 companies to nonprofits to government agencies. He's the author of Meetings That Matter, Eight Powerful Strategies for Remarkable Conversations, and equally a book 
called 10 Powerful Things to Say to Your Kids, Creating the Relationship You Want with the Most Important People in Your Life. Stealing a little bit of from where we've been, we have been talking about the possibility that meetings could actually be fulfilling, enjoyable, and productive. And the secret sauce to making them fulfilling, enjoyable, productive is to making sure that the agenda is accomplished. And that means broad participation, hearing from people, being thoughtful about who you want to hear from in advance to the start of the meeting, respecting the time and the talent of the people that are there, and then making sure that you have a process to discuss what are very complicated um, topics. All right. So I want to turn now to talk about what is the what are the six core processes in Paul's view that underpin every conversation. And I'll give you a heads up. This underpins meetings, this underpins one-to-one, and this underpins the powerful things you want to say to your kids. So, Paul, what are these six processes? Just give us a list of the six to start out. Very good. So the six would be checking progress on projects, goals, and initiatives, requesting input from a group, responding to a problem, starting a new project, making a decision, and creating alignment. Okay. So deciding and five is alignment. I love that. Checking progress, requesting input, responding to a particular problem, um, starting something new, making a decision, and then creating alignment. Okay, let's pick one of those. And let me just give you a, a heads up, too, that Paul is willing to make these available in a handout if you'd like to know more details. Just send him an email at paul, P-A-U-L, dot axtel, A-X-T-E-L-L at Mac, M-A-C dot com, and he'll be glad to send you the handout. So, Paul, let's start with the beginning. Um, So checking progress, requesting input. Let's go to the second one, requesting input. Why is that one so important and how to go about doing it? Well, I think it's important because, number one, engagement in part is about whether people feel like they've been asked for what they think. And yet, when we tend to ask for input, we just say, okay, I want to talk about this, and I would like to know what you think. And it's just kind of open-ended versus being a little bit more deliberate about it. And let me maybe step back a little bit and talk about what I mean by process. Um, It's really about how we work through each of the topics in a meeting, which means let's have a thoughtful conversation And it's easier to have a thoughtful conversation if you follow some steps rather than jump all over the place. So that's what I mean by process. I was reminded of I was working with a leadership team in Brazil, Wanda, and uh, there was 20 of them from all over the world. And they said, well, can you help us with virtual meetings? And I said, well, tell you what, let me see how you are in a normal meeting. So take the next two hours cover topics you need to talk about anyway, and then I'll give you my feedback. And so I did. I watched them for two hours, and then when I asked for, they asked for feedback, I said, well, first of all, you have no chance virtually because you're not even any good when you're in the same room. And they all laughed because uh, they were committed to development, and we had a great relationship. But the leader was trying to both manage the conversation 
keep people into the conversation, listen for value, add his perspective. It was a big job. People said things without any regard for how other people felt. People then got defensive. People argued. And so you say, well, those are all individual behaviors, but the most missing piece was that there, in any of those conversations, there was not a particular path that they were following to get through the conversation. And if they'd had a visible path, people would have stayed on track. People would have realized that there's a chance for them to talk. So that's basically what I'm talking about. But absolutely, let's talk about the process steps for requesting input. I'm just going to walk through. They're very conversational. You could also say a process is what are the questions we need to ask ourselves and work through. So imagine you're a leader. First of all, you would just take three or four minutes and say, here's the situation that I'm dealing with, and here's where my current thinking is about that situation. Now then they open it up to the group. What do you think? What questions do you have? What ideas do you have? What concerns do you have? And the leader just listens, says, okay, good, what else? Okay, got that, what else? Okay, got that, what else? And it might take 10 or 15 minutes until the group says, that's it, that's all of our ideas, that's all of our questions, that's all of our concerns. Now the leader comes back and says, okay, let me tell you what I've heard. Summarizing, just as you've done really great, Wanda, a couple of times in this conversation, here's what I've heard. And based on what I've heard, Here's what I suggest we do next. Now, having listened to what I think we should do next, does anybody have any concerns or other input for me? So rather than a general, what does anybody think, sharing your starting place, then opening up to the group, then paraphrasing what you heard, then suggesting next step, and then checking. That would be a very good process for requesting input from a group about anything. Okay, so what you're talking about, Paul, is a systematic way of structuring. You keep saying structuring the conversation. So if the purpose of my conversation is to get input from people, I don't just say, what's on your mind? What do you think? I give people a context, the situation, my thinking, where I am, what I want input on, and then I open it up with a question, for example. And then I listen and listen and listen and listen, and then I summarize, and then I say to, well, based on what I've heard, here's what I think we do next. Any, What are the concerns about that? So you get iterative pieces on the um, concerns and input. I like it. That makes a ton of sense. It reminds me of a technique that I often teach to teams when I'm working with them. And I've known this technique as a dialogue technique where the basic principle is you give everybody sitting in the room two minutes to speak their mind about whatever the topic is. So I frame a really good question and allow everybody to go through and have two minutes to speak their mind, however they want to say it. And nobody responds. It's just you get your two minutes and we just walk around the room. Everybody gets their two minutes. And then we get a one-minute rebuttal. So you can add something you had forgotten or reiterate a point somebody else made or counter a point, but you get one minute and we get through. It's amazing when you use a structured process like that how rapidly you cut through to what the core issue is that needs to be discussed and where the common ground is. 
Yeah, I love that. It's a wonderful process. And if you think about the thinking behind this conversation, there's a couple of thoughts. Number one, people can say a lot in two minutes. Number two, if we remove the process of going back and forth, then nobody is actually disagreeing or pushing back. They're just listening, understanding, and following. And if you think about, if we pull group size into this one, four or five people over coffee can have a back-and-forth conversation. It can be chaotic. It doesn't have to have this kind of structure because there's enough time for everybody to get in. At the end of that, everybody will feel like they've been hurt. But if you have 20 people in a room and you let the back-and-forth chaotic conversation be the centerpiece, people leave not feeling heard. People feel like they were not self-expressed. So I love any kind of structure that kind of changes that back-and-forth conversation when we're in larger groups. Okay, so you're basically saying, here's how I stop the wasted time in conversations, the chaos, the back and forth, the defensiveness, the stuff that doesn't move us forward. Okay, so let's go to another one of your core processes. I'm going to pick the hardest one of all, uh, which is alignment. So what's a process for getting alignment in a meeting? Yeah, very good. Um I think if you think about alignment, you know, one of the phrases that we've heard a lot is people rarely destroy that which they created. And that's true. If people have a strong sense of ownership about a project they created, they tend not to do anything that would jeopardize it. But you can't run an organization with everybody involved in creating everything. And there's times when you need to walk in and say, here's what I'd like to do but I want you to be supportive. I want you to be behind this. And it starts with a basic perspective, which is people's preference, Wanda, is to be not only aligned, but excited and engaged in the projects they're a part of. So that's the preference. And the thinking is, if they're not excited, engaged, and aligned, there's one of three things missing. A, they don't understand it. B, there's something in their way like maybe they're working too many hours already, or there's something missing that if you could provide it, they would align. So the process steps for creating alignment starts with, here's what I'd like to do, or here's what management has asked us to do, or here's the goal that I think we should take on. The next question is a question for clarity and understanding. What thoughts or questions do you have about what this project is about. And you just stay with that clarification, understanding question until there are no more questions for understanding. Then the second question is, okay, it's clear, it makes sense, but do you see that it's worth doing? It's also hard to get people to commit to something they don't see the value in doing. Then the next one, is there anything in the way of you supporting this? And again, Oftentimes people say, well, that's a wonderful project, but you know, I've got so many things on my plate, one more, I can't stand one more good project. So maybe what's in their way is a lack of resources or a lack of time, or maybe it puts something they're committed to in jeopardy. Next question is, is there anything missing that would help? So if we provided something, would it help you align? 
So you're basically saying, okay, is there anything in your way or is there anything missing? Now, if we address these items, will you align? And Wanda, your earlier structure may remind me of time I was working with a state that was trying to combine 43 different literacy groups into a coalition. And they had met two or three times and could not get people to agree to form the coalition. And so they asked me to come in, and there was, I think, 38 of them there. And we started with everybody got three minutes, very much like your structure. But the question was, when did you fall in love with literacy training? And so we got them all on the same page with what they loved. And then we basically said, now, what is it you need either in your way or what's missing for you to align? We're just going to list this. And some of them were concerned about being losing resources. Some of them were concerned about going out of business. Some of them were concerned about all kinds of things. And we just put all those up. It took about an hour. And then we basically said, if we promise to handle all of your concerns and questions, will you align? And they all agreed to align. So first we got in touch with their passion, and then we basically said, what's in your way? What keeps you from aligning? But the thinking was, that's their preference to align. And um, so that's the process. And it's very simple, and you can get people, if you're willing to talk and listen, and people think it's safe, they'll tell you what's between them and being on your side. I love that, Paul. That is so simple and so clear. So if I'm trying to create alignment, there are four kinds of questions I ask, and I do them each in order and don't mix them up and make it chaotic. So here's my idea. Here's what I want to do. What is it that you need to understand better to know what that means? So clarity. And then two, is it worth doing? Forget with resources or how or whatever. Is this worth it? And then three, okay, so what's in the way of your supporting this? What barriers, what limitations, et cetera, do you have? And then four, was there something missing that if I, we could provide would actually help? And if you cover those four, then you're going to ask people for, if I did this, could we get alignment? Very straightforward. It reminds me of a consulting project I did with a client. Um, they called me in to say, we're having a hard time getting this group aligned, wanting to get behind this new change initiative. And I go in and spend the day talking with them and finally get the group in the room that we're having trouble getting alignment. And I said, so what's in your way of doing this? And they listed, we got this to do and this to do and this to do and this to do. And if we don't get those done, we're dead. As in, the company is not going to succeed if we don't get those done. I don't have time to think about it. I'm not ready for the next new. I have to make sure we've got the current processes bedded down. And as soon as you heard that, you realized it was too much too soon. It needed to go on the back burner for another year. Um, sadly, I lost the consulting engagement, but I think the company was better off for it at the end of the day. Okay. All right. But you, so make, just, you make a good point there, Wanda, is, We've got to get managers so they can sit down with their groups and have this conversation rather than relying on you or me coming in and having it. Exactly. I, I hope we can teach them how to have it and then they carry on with having it themselves. 
All right. So the conversations with Paul Extel. Paul has over 35 years experience training leaders from Fortune 500 companies all the way to nonprofits to government agencies. The book is Meetings That Matter, Eight Powerful Strategies for Remarkable Conversations. If you'd like a handout about the six core processes for having better conversations, send Paul an email at paul.axtell, A-X-T-E-L-L, at Mac, M-A-C, dot com. The six processes to reiterate are ways to check on progress, ways to ask for input, ways to respond to a problem, ways to start something new, ways to make a decision, and ways to make an alignment. And the core notion here is that if you have a systematic process steps to follow, you can make the conversation both more productive and less chaotic. So when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation and talk a little bit more about how you get more skilled in these kind of conversations. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. How is your marketing going? Really? Mm-hmm. Not so good? What could you be doing wrong? You've spent a lot of time and money on your marketing, trying to follow what other successful people are doing, and yet your business marketing plan is still coming up short. Try something new. Tune into Extreme Exposure, the power of personality marketing with host Jackie McClinigan. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. It just might work for you. What makes great leaders? Results? A lasting legacy? Is it making a difference in your life or maybe the lives of others? I lead. The Leadership Connection with host Dr. Linda Sharkey will bring you the practical tips and tools to make you an extraordinary leader and by doing so, build a better, more successful, and more profitable organization. Our show is all about you, the leader that you can be, and the culture that you can create. Tune in to I Lead, The Leadership Connection, live every Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is Paul Extel, and the conversation is about how to have more effective meetings, more productive, more enjoyable, uh, more efficient meetings, and better conversations. Paul's basic principle is that if we have structures, processes to follow for the kind of core conversations that we need to have on a day-to-day basis, then we have less chaos in the conversation, and that makes them more efficient, more productive, and people feel more engaged. And we've been talking about in this last segment the kind of six kind of core processes you need to have, things like being able to check on progress, 
being able to request input, being able to create alignment, and some others. And we were just going through what is the process? What are the questions you should ask, the steps you should follow as the leader of a meeting or the leader of a conversation to make sure that the conversation goes in a structured, orderly fashion? I can see how this would buy time. I can see how it would make everybody feel a whole lot better about the meetings that they attend. So, Paul, let me go back and say, I just have to ask the question, how did you get involved in this whole notion of making meetings more productive, fun, enjoyable? Well, great question. It goes way back. I got raised, like a lot of people did, inside a conversation called shyness or introverted. And um, so I didn't speak all the time I was growing up. I went through high school didn't have a date. I think I could get one now because of texting, but there was something about that face-to-face rejection that I didn't want to have. And Anyway, I went to work for an organization as an engineer, and my first boss was Kurt Frank. And after about six weeks, he walked into my office on a Friday afternoon and said, Paul, I've been in 15 meetings with you so far, and you haven't spoken. And in many of those meetings, you are the lead engineer. That's unacceptable. So beginning Monday, you were on 90-day probation for not speaking. And in the first meeting in which you and I both attend, if you do not speak twice at the end of the day, you will be fired. Have a nice weekend. And I always knew that not speaking in life didn't work, but Kurt was the first manager who cared enough about me to take it away as a viable option. And he actually walked in the next Monday with the HR papers and made me sign him, 90-day probation for not speaking. And then he also asked me to start teaching problem-solving and decision-making and forcing me to be up in front of a group. But when I look back on that, I see lots of people who have a lot to say and they don't speak up for lots of reasons, and I don't think it matters whether it's because you're introverted or shy or English is your second language. I think you have to just get, if I'm in the meeting and I don't speak, I do not add value. Every person has a unique perspective. You're the only person with your ideas, with your experience, with your perspective. And if you don't speak, the group misses out on that. So I think that's what got me originally interested in it. And then I just started doing lots of reading, and I came up with the notion that really conversations all you've got to have life turn out. And whether that's the foundation for your relationship, whether that's how you raise your kids, but particularly in an organization, after your core competency, your ability to get a group of people together and conduct a conversation that is currency in the realm of organization. That is mastery. Um, and that will bring you stature, and that will bring you influence. So I really, because of my own past, I see once brilliant people who are not speaking, and I just kind of say, you know, don't go there. You've got to speak up. So that's how I got interested in this. Okay. I love this. So your boss comes in and says, the next meeting I'm in with you and you don't speak twice in that meeting, you're fired. And here's the HR papers to prove it. And you're on probation. I love it. I'm not sure I'm going to recommend that as a strategy to everybody, but it is one way to get there. 
So, and I, I love your comment that your ability to conduct a conversation is your currency in the organization because otherwise, what's the point? You do, we rarely accomplish anything by ourselves in an organization at any rate. It's always about getting other people along. So any lessons learned from your own personal journey all those ways back? How did you get over the nervousness that I'm going to speak? Was there any secret other than you just did it? Well, I think it's one of those things that uh, if you, in this case, I've got to speak twice in every meeting. If you walk in thinking that, you'll find something to say. It's also why we need agendas out ahead of time so people can think about what they would like to say, what they would like to ask. Um, But I think basically you just decide, you know, there's things in life you do naturally and things in life you do because it's the right thing to do. If we kind of talk about networking in an organization, there's a lot of people say, well, that's not me. Well, I'm sorry. If you sign up to work for an organization, you sign up to build a network of people you can count on, who you can easily talk to, and the number has got to be pretty high, at least 30, if not 100, which means you've got to master this notion of working the room, even if it's not your personal preference. Um, And I think people just need to get that. And if you're managing people, you need to have them get that, that their ability. I saw something else. There's a a book that was talking about engineering, and it says the number one determinant of whether a technical person is successful beginning a new job is their ability to connect and build relationship with veteran technical people. But no supervisor is saying, look, part of your job in the first three months is to pick out 10 veteran engineers, take them to coffee, ask them to walk you through the factory. Nobody is telling, that's your job. Let's start creating those relationships. So I think you, for most of us, it's like give up the excuse about being comfortable and just get going. Not going. All right. I love it. I love it. That is a great wake up call. And I love the notion you speak twice in every meeting or you're fired. That makes an interesting um, uh, challenge for people. Okay. Now let's go back to we talked in the very first segment about what you do in advance to the meetings, the notion of creating the agenda. We talked about how you manage the meeting to keep people on track and the kind of processes that you use to keep conversations going. What do you do in between meetings? Well, I think the most important thing to do between meetings is track and measure, let's call it a say-do ratio. So effective groups, the target is 85%. Effective groups accomplish 85% of the actions that they come up with during the meeting. And you've got to track and measure that. Um, Cindy, my wife, the other day, she was going down the basement and about bedtime, I said, where are you going? And she says, I've got 750 more steps. I'm going to go walk around the pool table. Why? Because she has one of these Fitbit watches. And one of the things I like is the notion that goals don't make things happen, systems do. And a Fitbit watch is a system that allows you to track and measure something that's got something to do with performance. A group's they do ratio, that is their ability to accomplish 85% of the actions they come up with in meetings, is the number one indicator about what you should be tracking and following. 
I said, there's one other thing, and I am an advocate for one-page summaries of meetings. Number one, because people don't take notes in meetings. Number two, they immediately go into another meeting and forget what just happened in this. There are people who can attend who would like to know what went on in that meeting. Uh, why the phenomenon is that conversation disappears, particularly when you're busy. So even though we had a great conversation, even though we had a lot of energy, that quickly dissipates and erodes and people lose track of what happened. So meeting summaries are pretty important. I also think we should just admit that most of us don't keep our word. And anybody listening who keeps your word all the time, please forgive me, but most of us got raised where as long as you have a good explanation for not keeping your word, you're okay. And we often break promises to ourselves. So I know people don't want to micromanage. They want to trust their people. But the actions completed by a group are too important to simply trust that they're going to happen without somebody tracking and following up. And that's a difficult conversation. It's an uncomfortable conversation. But if the group agrees to being followed up with, then it's less of a problem. So there would be three things. Number one, keep track of how many action items you complete. Two, summary out quickly so the conversation doesn't disappear. And three, who's going to follow up on the action items for the group? I love that. I'd love this say-do ratio. I'd love to challenge everybody to think about the say-do ratio. What do you say you're going to do in a meeting? What do you actually get done? And the benchmark is 85%. Love that one. I also love the statement that systems make things happen, not the goal, not the ambition to get there, but the actual process for tracking and measuring and keeping a summary of what we said we're going to do. Okay, Paul, before we wrap up, I have to turn to the one last question that I need to ask, which is about paying attention. Now, you've made the comment several times through the course of this conversation that as a leader, one of the things that I have to do is to pay close attention to someone, that I use my attention actually as a way of managing how much they speak. So what are the six, seven, eight things that each of us should be paying attention to in order to improve our conversations and our outcomes? Uh, Great question. Um, And the thinking here is that in every discipline, there's some critical variable that if you pay attention to that, it will have an impact on your performance, whether that's shooting a rifle or hitting a golf ball. Same holds true with respect to conversation. I think the first one is, are you attentive? Are you present? Which basically means no multitasking, no distraction. Um, So that'd be one, no distraction. So at least you have the ability to be attentive. Number two, whenever somebody speaks to you, they've got your full attention and they're allowed to finish. Attention and caring are really tightly associated, Wanda. And if I'm in a meeting and, I, and I'm speaking and I'm doing my project review and I look over there and the leader of the meeting is having a side conversation or checking their smartphone, it hurts. They know they can follow the conversation and quickly check on something, but they don't get the impact of their lack of attention on the person who is speaking. So this whole notion of attention. Then in meetings... of the time spent in meetings gets lost because we don't stay on track, partly because we don't have a track 
those steps that we talked about in the last segment. And partly because we go off track and nobody says, you know, it looks like we're now talking about something different than what we intended. Do we want to stay here or do we want to come back? So training yourself to notice when a conversation changes and if it's away from the stated agenda, bring it back. Spoken yet. Notice who's on the outside. I went to kindergarten with my granddaughter, Abigail, first day, and we're out there, 200 kids in the playground. And she says, Grandpa Paul, who do I play with? And I said, well, look around and tell me all the kids you see who are by themselves. Oh, there's one. There's one. Oh, there's one. I'm going to go play with her. I think that ability to notice who's not yet in a conversation and invite them in is powerful everywhere in life. I the, saw a quote by Bobby Jones, a great golfer, the, who said he had this instinctive ability to walk in the room and notice who was feeling left out and then engage them in the group. So notice who's not yet in the conversation. Three, work with what people say. So if you speak in my meeting, I'm responsible that, number one, you get heard. Number two, you're allowed to finish your thoughts. And number three, I've got to take what you say and make sure it adds value to the conversation we're having. It's not your responsibility to add value. It's my responsibility. That means I've got to pay attention to you in a way not only that has you feel heard, but I've got to work with what you add to the conversation. Now, sometimes I've got to say, okay, Wanda, you've got to help me out here because I don't see the relevance to what you just said and what we're talking about. But then you'll either show me the connection or you say, no, Paul, I found myself thinking about something else. Sorry. So working and paying attention to every person that speaks. It's fabulous, Paul. Yeah, and I I'm, do think the other thing is interruption. Um, I'm... Remember, four or five of us at coffee, it should be chaotic. Back and forth, interrupting. Emergency room in a hospital ought to be chaotic, interrupting people talking on top of it. In a meeting, once you get past eight, ten people, interrupting usually does not add value to a conversation. It's fabulous, Paul. There's a lot of advice in here. I love the notion that we pay attention to people and that is our signal of caring. And I also love the notion that if I'm running the meeting, my job is to make sure people get heard, that I bring people in, that I allow them to finish their thought, and that I take what they've said and ensure that it's adding value. There's a lot of advice in here, and if we followed it, it certainly would make for a lot more structured conversations and therefore less chaos and less waste of time. Paul Extel is my guest today. The book is Meetings That Matter, Eight Powerful Strategies for a Remarkable Conversation. Send Paul an email at paulextel at mac.com. And join us next week. It's Bonnie Marcus, and we're going to talk about the art of self-promotion. Thank you again for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Take charge this week.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.